Good to be with you this morning. Um, the last day of summer it hasn't been a crazy end to summer. And uh, it just seems to come around so quickly. But uh, here we are, last day of summer. And in church to uh, worship and to learn something more about the Lord. Two weeks ago, we uh, were introduced to our focus for the year, being wholehearted. And of course, the idea is that as the year unfolds and we explore that, that we'll understand what it means to have a heart that's whole, to have that brokenness and the hurt healed, so that we may be people who can love God fully and really reach out and love others as well. And in that, uh, that uh, service a few weeks ago, we were given a little gift bag. And uh, I don't know whether you had looked through that, but one of the things I found particularly interesting was the fridge magnet. Who has that on their fridge? We were talking about this at our small groups through the week, and I had to confess that when I go to the fridge, I'm not often thinking about wholeheartedness. It's usually the stomach. But uh, here's the challenge. I wonder whether Northies can be the healthiest church across Newcastle because as we go to the fridge we realise that what we put in our stomach impacts our heart. <laughs> Thank you to the medical people there. <laughs> so that's my challenge for the year. See that wholehearted and realise now don't go for the chocolate, grab a carrot or something instead. And see whether we can have healthy hearts. And uh, last week we began looking at some of the characteristic of God's heart. So that if we're going to have hearts that are whole, we need to get an idea of what does that look like, what does that mean, and re talk to us about God's heart of love. And she explained that really the whole Bible is the story of love, right from the start to the end, and that is what God is all about, because God is love. If we really love someone, it's our actions that show that through the good things we do for them. We want to be kind to them, we want the best for them, we want to do things that can... Uh, really help them and build them up. And it's the same with God. God's heart of love is seen through his good actions towards us. And goodness is our theme this morning, the good part of God's heart and that goodness. As we begin reading through the Bible, even in Genesis chapter 1, we read a lot about God being good and his good intentions towards us. As we read through the account of creation, we read that God created light and he saw that and said, that is good. And God separated the land and the waters. He saw that and said, it's good. And he created the sun and the stars to give us light. And he saw that and said, it's good. He created the animals, the birds, the fish in the sea, the animals on dry land. And he looked at them and saw it is good. And he created people. And at the end of creation, in Genesis 1.31, he steps back and he looked at it and said, <laughs> and said, it is very good. It is very good. Perhaps just a similar feeling I get when I've mown the lawn and tidied up the yard and you look and think, yeah, that's nice. Just to a small degree. <laughs> just to a small degree. But that tells us right from the start that God's intention is that his incredible love for us is seen through his actions that are good. That's what he wants for us. His heart is good. His intention for us is good. And there's many verses, many, many verses that talk about the goodness of God. There's one in Psalm, Psalm 34, that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
One of the songs we were singing this morning said, I've tasted and seen. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I don't know whether you've had the experience with young children where you've prepared something for them to eat that they haven't tried before and they won't eat it. And you say, just try it. It's good. You'll like it. I know that you'll enjoy it. Just try it. And try and coax them and convince them to open up their mouth and then they realise it's good. And perhaps that's what the psalmist was thinking when he wrote those words, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just try it. Just come to God and see that God is good. And there's another well-known verse that's often quoted. And this will be the focus of my message this morning. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, sometimes verses like this are often quoted because they're really great verses. And if they're quoted often, we can either forget or we don't know the context around that verse. And I'm sure many of you have heard that verse at some stage, but I wonder how many know the context in which it was written. And I want to explore that today, and I believe that if we understand where that verse fits in with the greater picture, we'll understand the incredible significance and the depth of God's love and goodness that is shown through that verse. So that's the aim for today, to unpack that verse and appreciate to a greater depth God's goodness. So the verse was written by the prophet Jeremiah, after whom the book was known. And in the decades prior to his birth... The nation of Israel was relatively prosperous, free and secure. But the condition of the nation rose and fell according to the kings and their leadership. Manasseh was one king and he swore allegiance to gods of foreign countries and created idols and worshipped these gods during his reign. And as a result, the kingdom of Judah became a spiritual wasteland Now, he really was a wicked person. And in the Bible, God describes him as detestable. Not bad, not naughty, but detestable. And that's such a strong word that God used to describe this king. And God says he's more wicked than the nations around him. And God's hope was that Israel would be that holy country, that nation that focused on him. And he was saying because of Manasseh's leading, that nation was more wicked than the surrounding ones. He murdered innocent people and even sacrificed his own son in a fire. He built pagan altars and created idols to place in the temple. Now, Can you imagine to walk into the temple to worship God and there you are confronted with various idols and side little altars for other gods? He reigned for 55 years. And did some awful things in that time. When he died, Manasseh's son Amon followed in his father's negative example when he took the throne. Now Amon only ruled for two years because some of his servants in the palace conspired against him and assassinated him. So that was the end of his two-year reign. Amon's son then took the throne. Now, this son is famous for two reasons. One is because he was the youngest person ever to take the throne. Some know who I'm talking about already. His name was Josiah. And how old was he? Eight. Eight years old. Now, I've done a little bit of research this morning. Jonah Margak is eight years old. 
Could you imagine Jonah taking over from Scott Morrison? <laughs> Granddad's just shaking his head. <laughs> Beck, Russell are thinking, what is Graham talking about? <laughs> but that gives us a bit of an idea. We've got this eight-year-old person in charge of a whole nation. And the other reason Josiah was famous, not just because of his age, but because he had a heart for God and served him faithfully. And he rejected what his father and grandfather had done. So I'd imagine, though, if Jonah was going to take Scott Morrison's place, he would need some advisors. And I'm sure that Josiah had advisors with him, not those who had assassinated his father because they were executed. You can't get away with that kind of thing. But I'm sure there were some people there in the palace or in the land who realised what was happening was wrong and they wanted to support this new young king and advise him and guide him as he faithfully served the Lord. In the twelfth year of Josiah's reign, he declared that pagan idols and altars would be destroyed. And a few years later, he funded the repair of the temple so that the priests and people of Judah could worship the one true God. Now you can read more about that in the book of 2 Kings, chapters 22 and 23. Easy to remember, kings and lots of twos. 2 Kings, chapter 22, 23. And uh, you'll read really how awful Manasseh was and the incredible impact that Josiah had when he restored the kingdom to how it should be. He got rid of mediums, fortune tellers, psychics and household idols. He travelled throughout the land, destroying the pagan temples and idols. He searched out for the wicked priests and prophets and had them executed on their own altars. It was a thorough cleansing of the land. I think the original COVID deep clean. But upon Josiah's death, which was in battle against Egyptians, the prophet Jeremiah composed funeral songs. And they actually became national songs of sorrow for the people. It's written about Josiah in 2 Kings 23 verse 25. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. I want to take a little bit of a tangent point at the moment. Young people, it is never too early for you to get your hearts right with God and have an impact on your peers. And rather than letting them impact you and tell you what you have to do, know the Lord, stand strong for him, and impact them just as Josiah did for a whole nation. I believe that clapping is in affirmation of what you can do and who you can be in the Lord. However, despite Josiah purging the land and returning to the Lord, the kings who followed him after his death once again turned away. And this actually spelled the beginning of the end for that nation. And during those years, as idol worship again was renewed, the kings of Judah failed to heed Josiah's warnings. Sorry, Jeremiah's warnings. Jeremiah repeatedly reminded the Israelites that the Lord required them to give him true, heartfelt and exclusive devotion. Again, I want to pause here. It's easy to look at what's happening and think, well, those leaders, those kings of Judah did the wrong thing. No wonder the people had to obey and follow and worship idols. 
But there were those people in the palace who assassinated the king. There were people who believed in the one true God. And we can't lay blame for our spiritual condition on other people. It's our own responsibility. Of course, leadership has a responsibility too. We don't want to lead people astray. But really, our spiritual condition is up to us. And if our hearts are turned elsewhere, they're going to be veiled to the goodness of God. We will not see it. The Jeremiah persistently challenged the kings and the priests and the false prophets to turn away, leave the idols, come back to God yet again. I love this next passage. It's from the book of Jeremiah. And while it's got a very serious message, it shows that perhaps Jeremiah had a bit of a sense of humour as well. And I find the humour in that really emphasises the point that he's making. It's in Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah writes, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not act like other nations who try to read their future in the stars. Do not be afraid of their predictions, even though other nations are terrified by them. Their ways are futile and foolish. They cut down a tree and a craftsman carves an idol. They decorate it with gold and silver. Then they fasten it securely with hammer and nails so it won't fall over. Their gods are like helpless scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak and they need to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of such gods, for they can neither harm you nor do you any good. That lighthearted look at the futility of gods that the nation had created showed that they were totally useless. They could do no good. But our God is a God who can do good. But it's the same for us. We can create something that takes God's place in our lives. And it's not that hard to do if we're not careful. Something that can fill a gap that we are needing to be filled and we're not looking to God. Keep in mind the things of the world that we chase after, the things that we try and grab and hold on to, if they're not of God, they're futile and ultimately can't do us any good. And Paul follows on a similar vein when we look again at the verse that Scott read this morning from Romans 12.2. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And Scott focused on that, changing our thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Perfect. So in other words, don't think that copying what the world does will hit the spot. It's God's will for you that is good and pleasing and perfect. God desires good things for you. Remember way back in Genesis, what he created is good and you won't find it anywhere else. So the people of Judah were faced with a major struggle. If they continued to worship their idols and live the way that they were living, they would lose their city, temple and the loved ones. This is what Jeremiah predicted. The people tried to escape that predicament through ignorance and then arrogance, defiance and anger. But for them to cease believing in the magical powers of these idols, to give up the rituals, the pagan festivals, 
it all seemed too great a loss. And besides, the possibility that the temple and the city of Jerusalem would really be destroyed was unthinkable. But we can't continue to live a life of sin, living a life against God, and not expect there's going to be some kind of consequence to that. And the unthinkable did happen. Judah's security and prosperity ended as the Babylonians gained control of the region. They finally attacked the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the people away into captivity for 70 years. And just like the people of Judah, our concept of good can be distorted. They like what they have, though it was not good for them, and it was tearing them away from God. I believe to know the full goodness of God's heart means to be prepared to give up the lures of the world. And while I pray that none of us have physical idols or images of other gods in our homes, it's not hard to chase after the distractions that prevent us from seeking first the kingdom of God. And during those 70 years of captivity, a small remnant of people were left in Jerusalem, including Jeremiah. And so the first part of the book of Jeremiah, he's having verbal arguments with the kings and the priests and the false prophets and warning them of their behaviour and the impending danger. The latter part of the book of Jeremiah is written to those who are in captivity, wanting to encourage them and emphasise that there's hope. There's a new relationship between God and his people. He wants to restore them. And his vision even extended into the future where he talked about a righteous descendant, one who would be the ultimate saviour. We know that to be Jesus. So his warnings were real. The depth of their sin was great. Just think about the first of the two Ten Commandments where God says, you must not have any other God before me. And then he says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. And that's exactly what the people were doing. They put other gods before God and created idols. But I believe the depth of their sin and their wickedness contrasts the great promise of God, his incredible goodness towards the people. Let me put this another way. I've not experienced this kind of pain personally, but I know some of you have, and I want to mention it in a sensitive kind of a way. But I couldn't think of a more real example that shows the goodness of God. Think of someone in your life who you love incredibly, who's more important to you than any other person. You want to have time with them, you share your life with them, they share their life with you. Now consider what it would be like if over time you became aware that that person was developing a relationship with somebody else. And in that time, they're turning their back on you. And eventually, they're totally committed to the other person and you're left behind. Now as I say, I know some have experienced that and I don't talk about that lightly. But I, I raise that because that gives us an idea of what the pain is like for God many times over as the nation turned away from their first love and followed these, these gods and idols that have been created from trees chopped down in a forest, nailed so that they don't fall over, carried from place to place because they can't walk. And he sees that happening. It must break his heart. 
Let's break his heart. So with those thoughts in mind, and with the context of the book of Jeremiah, let me reread that verse. But I want to read some verses either side of verse 11 as well. This is what the Lord says to you. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. I can only imagine if you've experienced that personally in your life, that's the last thing you'd be saying to that person. That I have good things planned for you. Yes, you've broken my heart. You've turned your back on me. But I've got good things planned for you. Isn't that incredible? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. They're not plans of revenge. They're not plans of, well, that's it. You go your way, I'll go mine, I'll find another nation of people. Isn't that incredible? In those days when you pray, I will listen. I'm not turning my back on you like you did to me. I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, I got goosebumps when I read that. I thought, oh, where have I seen that word before? Wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. What an incredible act of goodness. Isn't that amazing? Despite turning their hearts away from God, his heart and intentions towards the people are good. His plans for good are still on offer. Nothing has changed. That is so powerful. His heart of goodness is unchangeable. And despite our sinfulness, he only offers restoration and a plan of hope. That is a good God. And it gives us reassurance that no matter what has been in the past, the future with God is good. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? I'll give you a practical way. Back to the fridge magnet. When I see this on the fridge, near the handle, and I open the fridge thinking of my whole stomach, my challenge is to think about my spiritual heart. What am I doing to feed my heart in a spiritual sense? What have I done today to spiritually nourish myself? And here's the challenge. Have we even lost our spiritual appetite? And we're not even bothering to feed it. Find that we're wasting away. My encouragement is, well, once more, taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember that you're responsible for your spiritual condition. Or is your spiritual appetite based on junk food? The things of the world. As Jeremiah puts it, the things that the other nations have. Do we have idols that we worship? Wealth and status. Do we have an anything goes way of thinking, popular in culture, that promotes a way of life that God didn't intend? Do we have junk food that are beliefs that compromise the fact that Jesus is the only way to God? 
Do we have junk food that waters down the need for a vital relationship with God and being satisfied with mediocre or decisions that were made many, many years ago without moving forward? Do we have a diet of spiritual junk food from screens rather than the word of God? Do we have a diet of spiritual junk food that has negative attitude towards others or even negative attitudes towards ourselves? Or can we justify our behaviours that we know really are wrong, but everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay? All of these things will do us no good. Only God is good. And we can't develop a spiritually healthy heart unless we feast on the goodness of God. I want to finish with a beautiful psalm, one that's well known. And this psalm summarises many of the aspects of the goodness of God that we see in our lives on a daily basis. In a moment I'm going to ask us all to stand and we're going to read the psalm together. And I'll get the band to come up as we do that. It's Psalm 23. So uh, if the band would come up and ask you all stand... So as we read this psalm out loud together, in your mind be thinking, what are the things that this psalm tells us that highlights the goodness of God? Let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me by... My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is a God who's been betrayed and turned against but holds no grudges, just has love for you. And I love in that last verse, his goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. It's active, it's not passive. He's not waiting for us. He's got plans in place for us. When I read that, what I saw was that God's goodness gives us all we need. It gives us rest. It renews our strength. God's goodness gives us guidance. God's goodness means that he's close beside us in the dark times. God's goodness gives us protection. It feeds us. And in his goodness, he honours us, those sinful people that we are. But he will honour us. His goodness overflows in blessings. His goodness gives us unfailing love. His goodness pursues us and never gives up. His goodness allows us to live with him forever. Indeed, God is a good God.